Our text, uh, as it has been, is found in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And then I would have you consider with me 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, the words of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Suffering is one of the means that God uses to grow the fruit of godly self-control in the Christian so that he or she may be able to run a faithful race. Now I know that it is not what a Christianity built upon comfort and prosperity and ease is going to want to hear. This sermon probably will not be what they want to hear today. But if that's the case, I submit they don't want to hear the truth. However, consider for a moment the suffering and afflictions and trials that the Apostle Paul himself faced in the race that he ran. Shortly after his conversion on the road to Damascus, he was proclaiming in Damascus the word of God, testifying of the resurrected Christ. But before long, he had to be lifted in a basket over the wall because the Jewish leaders and King Eratos of Damascus wanted his life. Consider Paul's own summary of what he suffered and endured for Jesus Christ as it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the race that God called Paul to run. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, 
besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Quite a race that God called Paul to run. Also consider that Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, some bodily affliction by the Lord in order to humble him over the heavenly revelations that he had received in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul knew not only physical suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Paul as well knew what it was to suffer betrayal. He knew what it was to be abandoned by his friends, his fellow Christians as well. For in his first trial, he says, his first trial before Caesar, for he made his defense. All, he says, forsook him. All forsook him. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. Now I find it very helpful to review the race that God gave to Paul in order that Paul might run faithfully that race appointed to him by the Lord so that I might be reminded again and again and again that suffering for Christ is not the lot of a super-Christian, but it is that which characterizes a Christian in strenuously exerting oneself, running the race that is set before him or her. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, Charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, notice, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not the super-Christian, but all will suffer persecution to varying degrees. That, dear ones, is a part of the race that the Lord has set before us. Dear ones, Jesus Christ never intended that the life of a Christian be an easy, comfortable life, free of all hardship free of all heartaches and afflictions and trials. Now that may be the kind of life presented by so-called evangelists on TV and, and radio, but it is not the life of a Christian. It is not the race, the Christian race, that is presented in Scripture. And anyone who tells you different is lying. As I look into the future and behold, just not by way of prophecy, but just by way of what is happening now, what may be soon happening, 
or not the too distant future may be happening. It's not a comfortable Christianity that will survive the persecution to come. That kind of Christianity will give up. Will give up whatever it has to give up in order to maintain its comfort level. Dear ones, the Christianity found in the scripture, the race that that God has set before us, is a self-denying Christianity that will persevere and will stand with Jesus Christ in defense of the pure gospel and the holy commandments of God. The fruit of godly self-control, dear ones, is graciously given to every Christian when that Christian is regenerated. But it is grown in the Christian's life by means of the power of the Holy Spirit through that difficult race, through trials, through heartaches and hardships, through rejection, through loneliness, through agonizing effort and work on our parts to walk faithfully before the Lord that leads, ultimately, that leads to an incorruptible crown of life. The main points from our text this Lord's Day are the following. Number one, the agony of godly self-control. It's a blessing indeed, but dear ones, it's not easy. The agony of godly self-control. First part of 1 Corinthians 9.25 is where we draw that point from. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. The second main point, the reward of godly self-control. The second part of 1 Corinthians 9.25. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible So our first main point, the agony of godly self-control. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. First, let's take just a preliminary overview of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is addressing a problem that certain Corinthian Christians were having in clinging to their so-called rights as Christians to eat meat offered to idols, even if it caused others to stumble and brought division within the church of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds these Christians that it is our duty before God to willingly lay down our rights in order to serve Christ and others, in order to live the gospel of Jesus Christ before others. He uses, throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he uses 
uh, his own life and his own ministry as an example of this very truth of of sacrificing his rights, not clinging to his rights, not clinging to his liberty, but being willing to lay down his liberty, as it were, in order to present, to share, to, to testify of Jesus Christ to others. First of all, Paul states he had power. That's the word used in 1 Corinthians 9.4, which another way of translating it is authority or a right that he had power or a right to eat and drink whatever was created by God. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 4, Have we not power to eat and to drink? Secondly, Paul says he had power, that is authority or right, to marry, as did the other apostles of Jesus Christ, including Peter. Contrary to the Church of Rome, Peter was not celibate. He was not single. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord, and Cephas, that's Peter? <clears throat> Thirdly, Paul also writes that he had power, authority. He had a right to be fully supported financially through means uh, uh, the giving of the church. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? Paul says, No soldier goes to war at his own expense. No farmer plants a vineyard that does not reap from the grapes in the vineyard. No shepherd tends the sheep that does not Receive of the milk of the sheep. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul says, Not even oxen tread out the corn without being paid for their services. In 1 Corinthians 9, 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Paul goes on to say that the priests, as ministers of God in the Old Testament, likewise earned a living and were paid for their work through the sacrifices brought by the people. They shared in the sacrifices in verse 13 when he says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. In other words, they're partakers of the sacrifices that are found upon the altar. So Paul states that God has ordained likewise that new covenant ministers and preachers are also to live from the contributions of those to whom they minister. In verse 14, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of or by the gospel, by means of the preaching of the gospel. That's what God, he says, ordained. It's not a suggestion. It is God's ordination. But Paul concludes that though these are legitimate rights, 
He says that he has these by way of power, authority, by way of right. All of these are rights to which he was entitled as a, as a Christian and as a Christian minister. But he has not, he says, insisted on using them if the gospel of Jesus Christ would be hindered in any way. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.15, but I have used none of these things. Though he was entitled to do so, though he could have done so, he refrained from doing so in order that his life might be such that no one would be able to accuse him of simply, as probably there were those within the congregations who said that he was simply trying to fleece the flock, simply trying to make money. He was doing it for the money that was involved in ministry. And so his attitude was, well, I will work and supply my needs by other means and for, I'll have I'll receive what other churches give but I'm not going to in this particular church even demand what is lawfully or rightfully mine by way of being supported you see what was of supreme importance to the apostle Paul was that the gospel of Jesus Christ not be hindered that it not be in any way there would be no obstacle at all set in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ due to his clinging to his rights. Paul was not about to compromise the truth of the gospel. He was not about to compromise uh, uh, sound doctrine. He was not about to compromise pure worship or sound and, and biblical church government, or the morality and purity of God's holy commandments and God's law. But he was willing to sacrifice these rites that were he just mentioned for the sake of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says that though he was free of all men, and there ruling over his conscience before God, he had made himself a servant uh, to all men in order that they might be saved, in order that they might grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In verse 19, he says, For though I be free from all men, yet... Have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more? Paul was not willing to sacrifice Christ's truth in the least, but he was willing to be sacrificed for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ that others might become partakers with Paul of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that is what agape love is. Willingness to lay down your life for others in order to draw them unto Jesus Christ, to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. This reveals 
I believe, the heart of Paul. To see others brought to Christ. To grow in Christ. And by way of application, dear ones, let nothing in your life or mine that is not necessary to maintain our testimony for Jesus Christ be held so tightly that we cannot lay it down for our Savior as He laid down His life for us. Again, dear ones, this is not a super-Christian. It is simply that which characterizes one who is a Christian. As the Lord Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's not a super Christian. That's just one who would come in faith to Christ. That's the evidence that they have come in faith to Christ, that they deny themselves, take up his cross, and follow Christ. And so I ask, what is more important in your life? Clinging to your rights? Clinging to the things of this world? Or clinging to Christ? His gospel, his commandments, his doctrine, his worship. Write it down in your minds, on paper, remember it. Love for Christ and others limits our liberty and our rights. Love for Christ and others limits our liberty and our rights. That is what Paul is teaching here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the first portion of it. As we now look more closely at our text in 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul elaborates on the striving, literally the word used there in 1 Corinthians 9.25 when, when he says, and every man that striveth, that's the word in Greek, for agonizes. Every man that agonizes for the mastery is temperate in all things. Beginning in verse 24, Paul says, Know ye not? Know ye not? In other words, Paul is saying, what I'm about to relate to you and teach you is an illustration of which you would be very, very familiar. And that illustration that he was about to lay before them were the games in Corinth, the, the athletic games in Corinth, which rivaled the Olympic games at that time. The athletic games at Corinth, dear ones, occurred every two years and included events like running, like races, running, jumping, like a broad jump or a high jump, uh, throwing, like throwing a javelin, throwing uh, a discus, and wrestling or boxing, 
both, uh, both of those were a part of these games as well, wrestling and boxing. And Paul uses two of these events that I've just mentioned, particularly uh, in what he says as he addresses the agonizing training involved in growing in self-control. He uses running a race and boxing in particular in verse 26, where he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. The point that Paul is driving home is that being a faithful witness for Jesus Christ is in some respects, not in all respects, but in some respects, like being an athlete that was running in the Corinthian games of which they would have been very, very familiar being in Corinth themselves. It's not comfortable to run this race the Corinthian, in the Corinthian games. It's not fun in and of itself because it's hard work. It's not pleasurable by way of the the sacrifices that one must make to be a part of the Corinthian games. Uh, It's not easy. It's not for the lazy, in body or in heart. An athlete in the Corinthian games trained for years to compete. He suffered much by way of pain, exhaustion, loneliness because he had to devote all of his time to training denying himself various foods and drink and rest and comforts. If he was to win the prize, he must be single-minded from the time he awoke until the time he fell asleep. That must preoccupy him. Paul is certainly... Here, not endorsing, as I said, all that was associated with the Corinthian games, especially the idolatry that was involved. These games were, in fact, dedicated to the honor of Poseidon, the earth-shaking god of the sea, and were done for Poseidon's glory, were done for one's own glory, and for the mere earthly benefits that one would accrue. And when. The similarity that Paul draws from the athlete competing in the Corinthian games and the Christian running in his or her race is the time, the resources, the exertion, and the commitment necessary. The course that each Christian is to run is not necessarily the same for each Christian. God's plan or God's course for each of our lives, dear ones, is specifically tailored by God's infinite wisdom and by God's infinite love for each and every Christian. But, but the training to run the race is the same for all Christians, striving to the point of agony and training oneself in godly self-control, 
The rules in the uh, uh, in in this race are the same for all Christians who are running this race. The gospel, the commandments of God, His doctrine, His worship, that are found in Holy Scripture, and the goal is the same for all Christians in finishing the race, namely the incorruptible crown of eternal life, that eternal life that is glorious in beauty, in glorious in peace, glorious in righteousness, glorious in love and communion with God, where sin, temptation, tears, and misery are vanquished forever. That is the incorruptible crown of life. Communion with the Lord our God. Uninterrupted communion with the Lord our God forever and ever. The power to run the Christian race, dear ones, comes from the resurrected Christ who empowers the Christian by means of the Holy Spirit who works within us both to will and to do his good pleasure according to Philippians 2 verse 13. Having stated that that's where the power to run the race comes from, from the resurrected Christ, who has already run the race that was set before him, he has finished, he's at the finish line, and because he has finished the race, having run it perfectly, he is the one who causes us, who belong to him, to finish the race. To finish the race. But some, some act as though they need not strive and work as much as they ought to strive and work because they, they think in terms of, well, it's the power of God that works within us in running and finishing the race. And so they slough off. It's the power of God that does so. So they don't think they need to exert themselves. So they do not think that they need to, to um, exercise themselves. Agonize in their, in their running this race for the Lord. However, dear ones, that could not be further from the truth. That's simply an excuse. That's simply a cop-out in our lives, when we, in order to be lazy, we all fall into laziness in the Christian life. But let us realize the excuses that we are making in order not to exert ourselves, in order not to strive to agonize in running this race with all the might that God gives to us. Yes, it is God who receives the glory. It is the Lord who works within us both to will and to do his good pleasure. But it is we who run the race. And it's because he does work within us both to will and to do his good pleasure that we don't have an excuse to be lazy. But are all the more empowered to be uh, diligent and to strive in running this race. 
to exercise ourselves to godliness, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7. To strive, literally to agonize, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, in running and finishing the race that God has set before us. We ought not, dear ones, to be lazy in running the Christian race, as I said, because God works within us. But rather, we ought to be all the more energetic in running the race because God works within us. This is the reason you have such hope in running a faithful race and in finishing this race because it is the Lord, the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ that works within you both to will and to do His good pleasure. It is Almighty Spirit of God who supplies all that you need to run this race, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow Him in running this race. To deny their ones those temptations that would take you off course to overcome those obstacles in your course, in your race that are set before you, whether it be trials and afflictions in your health or in the health of others that you love and are caring for, whether it be be problems in your marriage or in your family, whether it be sins with which you are warring, seeking to keep outside the the wall of self-control, whether it be attacks from those at work, slandering your, your name, bringing the name of Christ to derision, whatever it may be, the Lord has given us the strength and, and, and will by his power and his strength, even use those obstacles to grow us in the grace of self-control and say, no, just because those things happen to me, I will not quit. I will not allow that to stumble and to trip me and cause me to fall down and to stay down. And even if I fall, by the power of God, I will rise again and get back on my feet and run the race that Christ has set before me. Just as the athlete is temperate in all things, as he says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, so is the Christian temperate. This is the same Greek word that is used for the fruit of temperance or godly self-control in Galatians 5.23. The Christian exercises himself strenuously in godly self-control because, dear ones, we must be strenuous so many times in saying no to temptations. It requires, it seems, all that we have within us not to walk the way of our temptations, our sinful desires, and to say no 
We need the power of God. You see, dear ones, the Christian awakes each morning and the Christian commits himself or herself in running this race every day. The Christian commits himself or herself to Jesus Christ in prayer, spending time with the Lord God, reading his word. The Christian does not just wander aimlessly into the day. There is a divine course and a race that the Lord has appointed for you that day. Every morning, you should be aware. This is a new day, a new course, a new race, a part of the ultimate race of the Christian, but a new aspect in the race. And I need to be ready. I need to commit my ways into the Lord that I run a faithful race today. For the Lord. You see, this is not a, a running wherever he or she, that is where a Christian wants to run, or running uh, the most comfortable in that Christian's opinion, the most comfortable course. It is running the course which the Lord has placed before us. You see, our running the race each and every day is not practicing to run the race. It is running the race. It is running in earnest. Every day, dear ones, is the real thing. It is the race. It is the Christian race. And we need to prepare ourselves at the very beginning of each day for running faithfully by means of, of godly self-control, the real Christian race that is set before us. Then having begun the day with that renewed commitment and sanctification to Jesus Christ, the Christian continues to pray throughout the day, pray without ceasing, by way of, of whatever you're doing, seeking to, to interject uh, a matter of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. A request that comes, uh, a petition that comes to you that you offer to the Lord to pray for someone. Uh, in other words, throughout the day, the way we run faithfully is by keeping our, our eye of faith and hope, love and obedience upon Jesus Christ. If we get completely distracted, if we completely forget the Lord in the course of our day, we ought not to be surprised if we don't run a faithful race that day. As well, the Christian running this race every day lays aside whatever may be the burden of sin the burden of worldliness, the burden of idolatry, the burden of distractions that takes one's eye of faith off of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine someone in the Corinthian games or let's just say presently in the Olympic games strapping on a burden onto his or her back and trying to run and to win that gold medal. 
it, it doesn't make any sense. It is uh, the last thing that a runner wants is more burden. The last thing that one who wants to win to carry more weight upon his or her back. If anything, the runner is trying to shed weight and burdens to lighten the burden. Well, how does the Christian do that? Whether it's a burden of sin or whether it's a burden, uh, a temptation of falling into particular sins or whether it's uh, just a, a burden for the cares of the light, uh, of this life and of this world. What All of these, dear ones, can become heavy burdens that weigh you down in running this race. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has told us that to cast all our, our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. He's, he's told us we can cast our burdens upon Him that we might run this race. And I'd ask you, dear ones, what are the burdens that are hindering and distracting you from running a good race? Perhaps it's the love of money. Perhaps it's your indulging the lusts of the flesh. Perhaps it is your fear of men and worry about circumstances that are outside your control. Perhaps it is uh, your love for the approval of others that you're willing to compromise your your beliefs and, and what you know the scripture teaches. Perhaps it's your love of self, your love of your body. Perhaps it's the love of pleasures, the love of your dreams and, and, and ambitions in this life. Or maybe even the love of your family. The love of family, just like the love of money. Neither money nor family are sinful in themselves, but the love of money just and the love of family can be a heavy burden that keep us from running a faithful race if we love them more than we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps that heavy burden you're carrying around with you even now that is hindering you from running a good race is bitterness in your heart toward others who have offended you. Resentment, anger over some wrong that you have suffered from others. Perhaps that burden that you are carrying is your own laziness, your procrastination to cast that burden off so that you can run that race and to continue to cast it off. If that burden comes back on you, if you take it back on you, well, you cast it off again. You cast it off again because you want to run that good race in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps it, that burden that may weigh you down is having failed so many times in running a faithful race by way of tripping over the same obstacle that's in your path 
falling over that same obstacle. And you continue to fall. You continue to fail in that particular area of living for Christ. And you perhaps have given up in fear of continuing to fail and to fall. Dear ones, as I said, it is the power of God that works within us that causes us to run a good race and to finish the race. And those who will finish the race must get up after they fall. They must. If they are trusting in Jesus, if their eye is upon Christ at the finish line, that eye of faith and trust is in him to see them to that finish line, they will get up. You will get up, dear ones, though you have fallen so many times, and you will continue to look to Christ in overcoming that particular heavy burden. Perhaps the burden you're bearing is that you are blaming others for your sin. You're looking at their sin through a different lens than you are looking at your own sin. That's a burden because that's going to prevent you from running a faithful race if you're blaming others for your own sin. Dear ones, godly self-control will do that which is hard. Godly self-control will do that which is uncomfortable, which is even strenuous and agonizing in casting off the burden that hinders and distracts you from running a faithful race and finishing the course, the Christian course, that the Lord has set before you. And dear ones, complaining about the course that God has given you to run while all the time you look over at somebody else's course that they're running and you say, wow, their course certainly seems to be a much easier course than the course that God has chosen for me. Thinking that way is not going to make your course and the, run, the running of that course any easier. It's going to make it more and more and more difficult. Would you like to exchange, you're talking about courses, would you like to exchange courses with the martyrs? Would you like to exchange courses uh, with the Apostle Paul that we read about? Um, God in his wisdom, God in his love for you as his dear children has given you a course for you. Not because he hates you, not because he despises you, but because he knows that's the course and that's the race you need to run in your life. If there had been a more wise, a more loving plan, because God is infinitely loving and infinitely wise, he would have chosen that for you. So the fact that you are running this race and running this course is an indication of his great love for you. And he is the one who will see you through it. All professing Christians start the Christian race by way of their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. 
But dear ones, not all professing Christians run the race faithfully or even necessarily finish the race. All true Christians will finish the race. But dear ones, many professing Christians start the race. And they may start at the gun, as it were, and they're out of the blocks like a speeding bullet. They fall and they stay down. How many have we seen in our lives start the race by way of a profession and have stopped the race, have discontinued the race, and are no longer, at least by way of their profession, even in the race any longer? The Apostle Paul says in Titus 1.16, speaking of such people, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. All of those who trust alone in Christ alone, all of those who are looking to Christ at the finish line, their hope being in Him, their faith being in Him, their love being in Him, their obedience being in Him, all who do so will finish the race. No matter how many times they fall, they will finish the race because God has promised it. God has promised that all who belong to him will finish the race. In summary of this first main point then, and the second main point will be much shorter, but uh, dear ones, running the Christian race, what we ought to learn from what Paul says, running the Christian race is not a comfortable stroll through the park, but is rather a strenuous an agonizing race that involves hard choices and decisions in following Christ, loving Christ more than anything in this world, being willing to suffer shame, heartache, pain, affliction, loneliness, loss of liberties and rights in order to follow Jesus Christ. That's what's involved, Paul says in running the Christian race. That's not the super-Christian. That is the Christian. The second main point is this, the reward of godly self-control. In 1 Corinthians 9.25b, the second part of that verse, Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible In the Corinthian games, dear ones, Paul states that the goal in running was to win the prize. In verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. In the Corinthian games, the athletes were competing against one another to win the prize. And only the winner received the prize. There weren't, apparently, in the Corinthian games, uh, silver medals and bronze medals. 
there was only, as it were, the gold medal. There was only the wreath that was the perishable, corruptible crown was a wreath uh, made of pine boughs uh, that were woven together, that were placed upon the head of the winner. The Apostle Paul speaks of this race that he ran in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, when he says, and, and this is his meeting with the elders at Ephesus, uh, 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 the elders of Ephesus at Miletus. And just as he's departing, he says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, knowing or not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying, that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now notice what he says. That's what is being basically said by way of testimony and witness from the Holy Spirit, what awaits him in Jerusalem. That's the course the Lord has set before him. That's the race that God has called Paul to run. But notice what he says. But none of these things move me. They're not going to deter me from running the race that God has called me to run. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Dear ones, as we run this Christian race, rather than looking to Christ, keeping our eye of faith and trust upon Christ, our hope upon Christ, our love upon Christ, our obedience upon Christ. We are tempted in the course of our Christian race to look, as I said, our race and compare our race with someone else's race and to complain about the race that God has called us to run. We're tempted as well to, as we're running the race, to look up in the stands to see who's cheering us on, to see who is approving of our running the race rather than keeping our eye upon the Lord. Because, again, that's a very proud way. When we're simply looking for the approval of others and running the race, Again, pride, conceit is going to well up within us. Regardless, dear ones, of the race that, that you have been called to run, the reward is the same for every Christian. An imperishable, incorruptible crown of life, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, the athlete in the Corinthian games trained with all of his might and ran with all of his strength to win a corruptible and perishable crown or wreath made of pine boughs along with some other earthly benefits that came with it. What agonizing exercise and strenuous exertion and all for a crown that perished. All for a crown 
from the moment that it was placed upon his head, began to die, to wilt, to perish. If therefore, dear ones, those who are not Christians, those in the Corinthian games would work so hard. Even today, if even those who are not Christians will work so hard in sports and athletics, uh, will work so hard on the job, will work so hard in school and exerting themselves, will work so hard in their marriage and in their life in order to gain that which will perish because they're not Christians. How much more, how much more we who are Christians must strenuously exercise ourselves to godliness in order to gain an eternal crown of life. A crown that will never perish, that will never pass away or fade. Where, dear ones, your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus said in Matthew 6.21. And I submit to you likewise, where your crown is, that for which you are working, that for which you are exercising yourself so strenuously, there will your heart be also. Dear ones, it is time for us all to take inventory because all eternity depends upon what crown you seek, whether a perishable crown or an imperishable crown, and whether by your desire and by your strenuous effort you believe that crown is worth obtaining. Those who fall in the course of the race and do not get up do not believe that the crown of life is worth it. Life is just too hard. It's too difficult. And they weigh everything by what they experience in this life. But those whom the Lord genuinely regenerates and saves are looking to Christ alone say that crown is worth everything. Whatever I must suffer, whatever I must go through in this life to have that incorruptible crown of life is worth it. Paul closes by applying these words and these truths to his own life and dear ones, so should we make application to our own lives. In exercising godly self-control in his own life, Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Just like he says was true of the Corinthian athlete. So he says concerning himself, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection in 1 Corinthians 9.27. You see, what Paul is saying is that he exercises godly self-control to the point of buffeting. That's what the word is there, to keep under, is to buffet, to buffet his body with bruises if necessary in leading his body captive 
to the will of God. Again, this is not enticing the body with candy, if it will but submit, please submit. And uh, It's not that type of an attitude. It's buffeting the body. It's exercising godly self-control. It's taking whatever strong measures are necessary to exercise that godly self-control over the appetites of the body and the heart. Paul is using the imagery of the athlete who seems to be punishing his body in order that the body will be able to run or box or jump or wrestle in such a way as to gain the crown. And Paul ends what he says in verse 27 with these sobering words, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Castaway is to be rejected, to be disapproved of. Now, this is not a rejection by God that Paul was speaking of here in regard to his own ministry, but by a rejection by men. Paul did not want to preach to others and then have others reject his ministry and the gospel due to his lack of self-control due to some hindrance in running a faithful race, carrying a burden that would hinder others from coming to Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was fully persuaded of his salvation, as he makes ever so clear in 2 Timothy 1.12, where he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul simply did not want his life or his ministry to be disgraced before man by his own sin or by carrying some burden in this life that hindered him in any way from running a good and faithful race to the glory of Jesus Christ. And dear ones, this is the desire and prayer of every Christian. In closing, dear ones, I pray, first of all, that you are in the Christian race and that you are not simply sitting in the stands watching a spectator, but that you by way of your profession and faith in Jesus Christ are a part of this race. If you are, again, by way of true saving faith, running this race, you will finish the race. There are hypocrites, there are professors who will not finish the race who appear to have started the race. But if you are trusting and looking to the finish line, the Lord promises you will finish the race. Even if you fall, you're looking to the finish line of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection for you. His righteousness being your righteousness. His power being your power to run and to finish the race. You will finish the race. 
But dear ones, there is no eternal crown of life to those who do not come to Christ alone by faith alone. You must enter this race looking in faith to Jesus, repenting of your sin, seeing you need a Savior, understanding that apart from Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. We read in 1 John 5.12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Jesus does indeed give to us this invitation to all sinners who hear the gospel, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are weary and heavy laden over your sin, and you believe that Jesus Christ will keep his promise that if you lay hold of him by faith that he will save you then you will receive the crown of life for those who have entered the race for those of you who are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal salvation I pray for you that you would run the race with all your might Casting off every burden and every care that hinders you from running a faithful and a good race. Dear ones, even if you started well, but along, somewhere along the line, you've allowed these heavy burdens to weigh you down, that you have slowed down in the race. Again, perhaps you have fallen under the weight of that burden. Cast that care upon the Lord. Cast that sin. Cast that fear, that worry, that whatever it may be, cast it upon the Lord. And even when we have, dear ones, finished our race appointed by the Lord at our death, We need to understand that the crown of life is not something that we earned or deserved. It is a reward, a gracious reward, purchased for us by Jesus Christ. He's the one who earned the reward for us. It's not we who earned the reward. It is all those who finish the race who by God's grace and power are able to run the race and able to finish the race, but it is God who receives all the glory. For in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, the 24 elders which represent the church of Jesus Christ have been crowned with the Stephanos, that that is the wreath, the winner's wreath. They have been crowned But what are they doing with those crowns? They are casting them at the feet of the Lord. Giving glory to him who alone deserves that glory and who gave them the power to run the race and to finish the race. 
All glory and honor and power be unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand in prayer. Our gracious God, we come unto thee this day praising thee and thanking thee that thou has again shown us the importance of godly self-control, the fruit of temperance in our lives. And that, Lord, we would be those who endure whatever heartache, pain, suffering that thou hast placed in our course that we are called to run, that, Lord, thou would grant to us a an ever-growing abundance of godly self-control that we will not quit, that we will not give in to those, those temptations, that we will say no to that and yes to our Savior and getting back up and running, Lord, this race and finishing the course which thou hast laid before us. We praise thee, our God, that thou art the one who will accomplish this in our lives. Thou art the one who will reward us, having given us the strength to do so graciously. Thou wilt give us graciously, freely, even a crown of everlasting life. We praise thee and thank thee, our God. In Jesus' name, amen.